So we are doing a production for Hamilton Fringe this year, which opens next week, July 14th. Um, that is called The Laughter. It's about Lou Costello and Lucille Ball. So let's talk a little bit about how uh, you started writing that production and how <laughs> we sort of started the research for it. Yeah, it, 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 this was a different way of coming about to a script, by all means. I had this spot in the Hamilton Fringe because of this pl pl uh, play winning a prize there, but we couldn't do it there because it just it didn't feel right in the atmosphere. Um, and so... I had the spot. <laughs> Brandon knows this a little bit, but I had another idea for a show I was going to do beforehand, but it fell apart uh, because I couldn't get the actors together and everything. So one night I was like, I got the spot. I had a great time working with Kate and Brandon a year previous on this thing called The Cage, which we had such a great time. And I just asked them both. And I said, hey, um, <laughs> if you had a chance to play any character in history, who would you want to play? And Brandon came off right at the top and said, Lou Costello. And I was like, okay um okay that's, that's okay this could be interesting um and he told me why he told me this incredible story that happened in 1943 uh during the radio show and everything else and then i looked i looked over at kate in, the, in her zoom screen and went okay kate so who would you want to play and i'm sitting there going please god make it somewhere close like if i have to if you say like Catherine the great i'll be like oh, okay we're screwed <laughs> we're, yeah. this is not gonna work out for one of you <laughs> But she says Lucille Ball. And I'm like, okay. And she shows me this picture. She showed the picture of what she looked like in Halloween, dressed up as Lucille Ball, and she looked amazing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, so now I've still got to but still I've still got to connect these two characters together. How am I gonna do this? Well, then the coincidence of a lifetime happens, and it was that Lucille Ball was on the on that radio show that Luce Abbott Casella had two weeks after this event that happened. And it's like two weeks. That's oh my god, that's ridiculous. How perfect is that moment, right? Laughing Vikings Live. High vibe chats with actors, comedians, and creators, plus stand-up comedy, sketch comedy, and most importantly, you. That's right, join us every Monday for new episodes and you can be a part of the show on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and Twitch. Ask questions and interact in the comments. And make sure to share this with your actor, comedian, and creator friends so they can be a part of the show too. Can't make a live show? No problem. You can catch up on your favorite podcast platform and visit laughingvikings.com to find out how you can join the cast and crew. All right, it's time for today's show. Buckle up and make sure you stick around to the end because we have a special surprise for you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is Laughing Vikings Live. Happy Monday, fun day. Let's go. Hey, hey, hey. It is episode 40. The podcast has just turned 40. Laughing Vikings Live, enjoying our 40s. We went out and we grabbed some multivitamins and the podcast has to start getting colonoscopies now. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 40. How you doing, BK Broiler? Uh, colonoscopies aren't the greatest thing in the world, but I'm doing fantastic, Lars. I mean, you got to keep your podcast safe. Uh, exactly. uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure when it comes to <laughs> podcast colonoscopies. I believe <laughs> how the saying uh, goes. So yeah, episode 40. This is great. Uh, and you've been on board for what? Like 21 of those, I believe? Yeah. Yeah, nice. I'm now eligible to drink. 
Nice. In our yeah. podcast episode it's, age. It's your 21st podcast birthday. Nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah, every, everywhere. Yeah, 19. Oh, no, not in the States. You can't. Uh, you can only drink here. here I can or, drink in the States. Quebec. 21. Yeah, but you've only been on 19 episodes. Didn't? No, oh, no, you have been on 21. Episodes. Right, right. Yeah, you can drink everywhere. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Math, uh, I guess, not my forte. Yes. It's okay. It's all right. Uh, yeah, so that's exciting. We're uh, we've turned forty here. This is forty for the podcast, and we also had an amazing weekend here mm-hmm. in Comedy Alley. We had the grand opening of Comedy Alley. Uh, we had a, a, the previous week. If you've listened, you've heard that we did a couple shows, but that was more of a soft launch with close friends and family. But we had uh, live ticket sales, and we had a couple bangers on Saturday night and Sunday night. And we had a ton of amazing comedians. I want to just look at my list here and make sure I give them all a proper shout out. Uh, hang on one second. Uh, we had, oh, so many. We had Sandra Badalini, Chris Bonaparte, Natish Sakuja, Pat Thornton, Raheel Sheikh, Big Norm, Anto Chan, Keith Pedro, Sam Norton, and Chris Robinson. I hosted the Shindig. Our comedy spider was there for every show. And if you're wondering what's the comedy spider, Comedy Alley has a resident spider, sort of like the doorman slash security. He's working his way up in the comedy club uh, arena, hoping he's uh, going to do an opening spot one of these days. He's working on his material. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many things. We started some traditions. The, the great thing about um, anything new and especially post-COVID now, we're all sort of like we have these re reopenings and reawakenings, uh, new starts, fresh beginnings. So uh, one of the traditions is every show features a lot of kazoos, a lot of slide whistles. Uh, we've got a comedy banana. So many things in that comedy alley that are great traditions. And another tradition that we've started in Comedy Alley and also here on the podcast is just acknowledging that Laughing Vikings is uh, the land that we're on and the space where the studio is was originally the uh, land of the um, Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people. And we also want to uh, acknowledge the enduring presence of all First Nations people, Indigenous people, and uh, Métis and Inuit as well. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, And uh, the other thing that was pretty interesting this weekend, uh, Brandon, I don't know if I told you about this, but um, I overheard one of the weirdest things I've ever heard in my life. I have this really fun game. I actually want to make it into a TV show. Okay. The, the, the working title is sort of called In Passing. All one right. Of my, one of my favorite simple pleasures in life is when you're just out walking, either with a friend or by yourself, you get this weird snippet and weird glimpse of the passerby conversation. So as someone's walking, you sort of get that, uh, what's the effect when an ambulance goes by where you'd like the, the sound? I don't know what that, there's a scientific term for it, but you kind of start, you start to hear them when they're in front of you. And then they're getting closer. You, you hear a couple words and then as mm-hmm. they pass and then it trails off. So, yeah, uh, my idea that I've always wanted to do is to green light a show where literally the writing room is legit. We go out for walks. There's no fake stories, but you just go out for a walk and either we're mic'd so we get the real live uh, audio as people pass or we just listen. And then as soon as we hear a doozy, we write it down and that sources all of the snippets that then we extrapolate on. So uh so to bring this around what i heard i'm gonna look for it in my phone here i wrote it down because i'm like i can't ever forget this so i'm walking this happened i think this was thursday night i walked past and just in passing so two lovely ladies i think they had just left the patio or maybe they came yeah i think they come out of the patio 
sort of a little jovial, like Mm -hmm. super casual. They said this so casually. This lady, as she's walking, says to her friend, she's like, I know this is like the new Gina cut off a finger story. And I'm like, what? Yeah, I know. This is like the new Gina cut off a finger story. And then they're gone. And I'm just left there like, whoa, whoa, you can't just, you can't just. Sprinkle just me with a off like that. What is that? With a finger chop story and not tell the rest. So immediately, all these things running through my head. I'm like, how did she? Like, was it her finger? How did she yeah. do it? If it was her finger, was it an accident? Was she just chopping onions that she hacked it off? Was it like a garburator thing where she she got? Was it a, a revenge story? I right, know. exactly. Was it a maybe? It's maybe her name is Gina Soprano, and Ooh. she just like she had to. She had to rein somebody in. He like, he like, hey, what the fuck? You think I'm some kind of moron here? You got to pay the bills. And then yeah. she just hacked, hacked off a finger right there. So I'm going through all these like, is she okay? Did the finger get reattached? Did she get it in? I think you're supposed to put a finger in, in ice, of yeah. milk or ice. Yeah. Was Lots it a, like a, was it a Gina Bobbitt kind of thing where she God. was mad at her lover and she was like, I would so cut off your dick right now, but I'm going to spare you and just cut off a finger because I'm not an asshole. It was pretty <laughs> nice. Gina, if you were about to, to, to chop this penis off and you just chop the finger off, technically that's a pretty nice thing to do. Uh, so You really downgraded you. there. But So I'm going through all these scenarios as I'm walking. I'm like, Gina and the finger, Gina and the finger. And then I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. The whole point of what this lady said is that there's now a story that replaces Gina's finger cut off. Right. Story. So I'm like, what is that? Is that a second thing? Like, does this lady know two people who have cut off two separate fingers? Was it another appendage? Was it something completely unrelated that just trumps hers? So so that's the gist of the this show in passing is get all these crazy things. And then maybe it's hosted like uh, Tosh.0 where we introduce it. But then we break out into sort of the um, like, um, what would you call it? Like uh, choose your own adventure where we're like, was it this? And then we break out into a little sketch scenario where we've scripted. This is how Gina cut off her finger. Or we're like, hmm, maybe it was this. And then we go through all those alternatives, but all just with the seed of one or two sentences that you hear from a random passerby. So thank you, random lady on Queen Street. Gina, I hope your finger is okay. I hope the person you cut it off or your own hand, if it was your own hand, I hope everyone's okay. And whoever whoever brought that news story, like that is a doozy. And if somehow (laughs) magically you're listening to this and you're like, Gina, I know a Gina who has a finger cut off story. You need to get her to contact us. And I think we need to have Gina on the podcast. Probably. Right? We need to talk to Gina. Someone needs to talk to Gina. We need to talk to Gina Soprano. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, I also just want to point out, too, for those uh, who are watching today, uh, you'll see behind me, I am technically in Comedy Alley right here, up on stage. The show's still going on. Everyone's being very still and very quiet, but that's uh, Chris Robinson still on stage. I think he's setting a record for longest set. Uh, who we got? Who we, where am I here? We got right here. That's Anto Chan, uh, and that's uh, Sam, uh, that's Sam Norton. Over here, that's Sammy Farid. Uh, I think that's Kat Vitkoff up there. Hell of a night. So nice. make sure if you have not been to Comedy Alley yet, go to laughingvikings.com slash comedy alley. That's laughingvikings.com slash comedy alley. Or if you're on Instagram, go to our link in bio and you can get tickets. 
And so what we're doing is we're running a promo. If you use coupon code FRIENDS, friends like the TV show or the friends that we are to you and that you are to us, F-R-I-E-N-D-S, you'll get 50% off tickets for this uh, upcoming week here. Uh, so hit us up at Comedy Alley and join us. It's an intimate night. So fun. The vibe. Uh, you were there actually on Friday. You are, yes, no, I was. Saturday. You were there Saturday, yeah? Yes, yeah. It was uh, It was great. It was so much fun. And hey, uh, we got to hang out with the spider. We got to hang out with the crack coon. Oh, yeah, the crackoon. And guess, oh, so the so this is the other thing. Mid-show, who was on stage? Oh, Ra- Raheel Sheikh was on stage. And a few people in the front row of the audience, just all of a sudden, randomly out of nowhere, there's like, <gasps> there's this. And <laughs> above him, like right, uh, if you can see here, like right up here is a, yeah. just the, the roof. Um, and so a, a little raccoon came like right, right to the edge and was looking. I think he was heckling Raheel a little bit. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was a it was a Moss Park raccoon, which is called a crackoon. They're uh, they're pretty uh, they're pretty mis- mischievous. But he came back again last night. Oh, did he? Yeah, we got regulars. Yeah. We oh have, wow. We regular raccoons. Gotta love those comedy raccoons. I'm not 100 percent if they bought tickets, so we might need to set up a little security or doorman or something. We can't just be giving away comedy to raccoons. Isn't Luna supposed to deal with that? She's supposed to. One time, a raccoon legit walked right into the studio. The door was open here, and midsummer, it was a hundred percent rabid too, or some. If it wasn't rabies, it was certainly sick, and it just kind of like waddled like a little drunk raccoon. And Luna just was like, "What the fuck?" Like she didn't even bark at it or freak out. Usually she does. Yeah. But I think this was just so jarring, and I think she probably recognized her animal instincts recognize that this raccoon was off as well okay something was up with it but i was like hey get out of here and had to shoo a (laughs) drunken raccoon out of here so yeah it's exciting it is exciting uh also a great spot for a date night as well there's a date night special on the website bring bring a date Uh, the tickets are very limited so make sure you book in advance uh there's only a small amount of space and obviously we've got some covid uh regulations limiting gathering sizes too but Mm. it's fantastic i i uh i love it i love it um so let's uh move forward here we got a clip to introduce our guest we got Mm -hmm. a special one here because this is our guest is related to not related um by blood but related by um projects and professionally with you uh, one of your writer directors in a show that you're uh that you've recorded but is coming up so you introduce it and you explain who we got on the show. so this clip is from a show i did back in december called the woman he painted which is about john singer Sargent and his famous painting madam x and this is him painting that painting or just beginning to do the sketches for that painting so roll in the clip you didn't bring your paints no i didn't Curious how you will paint me without them. Oh, I don't paint first. I sketch in pencils. I see what poses work well for you, and then from those, I will find the ones that I will be painting. I'm sure I'm good with any pose. I'm sure that you are. So, how would you like me? Don't worry, Madame Gautreau. I will let you know. Oh, did you want a drink? Sorry? A drink? No, I don't drink and draw. (laughs) 
pity. It might get interesting. I assure you that you wouldn't want to see yourself if that happened. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. I want you to lounge on the couch, please. Shouldn't I sit up straight? You can if you want, but it'll be a long sit for you. Then I'm going to lounge. Like this. That's perfect. So I just stay like this? Yes, exactly like that. And I look all right? You look beautiful. You think I'm beautiful? I do. You're probably the most beautiful woman in this country. Well, that is flattery. Uh, even more so than your wife. Oh, I'm not married. Oh, really? How fortunate. I believe you're married. Yes, that's rather unfortunate. Oh. My husband is here in name only. We have a certain space in our relationship. Oh, you have relations outside your marriage. <laughs> That's a nice way of saying it. Uh, he screws other women and I screw other men. That's how I define it. Uh, oh, something wrong. No, uh, I've just never really heard a woman speak as bluntly as that. <laughs> you must have noticed that I tend to get right to the point. I have noticed that, yes. And you seem far less sure of yourself. May I be honest? Of course. I don't think that you would say yes to me. Or, I didn't think you would say yes to me. I thought I would ask and you would refuse. Do I seem like that kind of woman? The kind that would say no? I honestly had no idea. <laughs> you said I was beautiful. That's a first step to saying yes. You could be painted by anyone. I know I could. What makes you think I didn't choose you? But we met at that party. <laughs> I knew you were there before I got there. You knew I was going to be there. <laughs> you use your pencils to plan what you're going to paint. I just use different tools. How do I look? Stunning. I meant my drawing. Right, your drawing, it's good, but I'm not sure if it's the right pose. It, it might be a little too... Seductive? It's something. I'm feeling that I might have you stand. I think everything about you will translate that way. I leave it up to the artist to decide that. I don't think you've ever let anyone decide anything for you. <laughs> no, I haven't. My mother thinks she does, but she sees what she wants to see. So, I will be standing then? Yes, I think you should. Up to you. I think it would be safer that way. Safer for whom? That I'm not sure about. I just like my odds. Well, you just tell me what you want and I'll do it. I'm sure you will. 
Nice. Nice. That that reminded me of, uh, I had like shades of Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet in Titanic there. I thought you were going to take her to the front of the ship and be king of the world out there. (laughs) We will later. (laughs) Oh, oh, do you? Nice. (laughs) No, Um, no. I'm also Uh, like your character in that. I'm a fan of the word screw. I think screw is one of the funniest, uh, like, I mean, it's kind of like a clean, dirty word. Kind of thing. yeah like you can get away with it you just say screw something something about screw you can get away with screw you can't get away with a lot of other things screw screw screw. Screw screw screw, screw 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 all right uh, so let's you, uh, give the grand intro here let's give you let's yeah uh, let, i'd love to in. so our guest today is an award-winning writer director and producer we have steven elliott jackson <laughs> Clap them in, everybody. Clap them in. Clap them oh. in. Hey. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to Laughing Vikings Comedy Alley and Laughing Viking Studio. And technically, oh. it looks like you're in a young boy's bedroom. Is that what <laughs> pretty you're Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, it's pretty much it. Thank you for having me. It's really quite nice. Yeah, no, this is like everything in my bedroom here. It's like, it's just... It's kind of laughable sometimes, but I've got my room type thing. I, yeah, got toys, got books, got... Explain a little bit. Is it's comic book stuff, or it's we, I, I can't see that. Yeah, far. What's, what's I'm a huge comic book fan. I, I'm mostly yeah, I'm a huge comic book fan. I like I'm always been a fan of DC Comics since I was like like five. Uh, I just I was remarking recently that a comic book that I grew up on, the very first one I remembered, actually just celebrated its 40th anniversary this year. Wow. <laughs> and it's like wow, I uh, feel old now suddenly. And uh, right. thank you, yeah. And I've <laughs> and I've still got those comic books somewhere. That's the cool thing. Nice. <laughs> Do you have all of them from all 40 years? Like, yeah. Oh yeah. I, that series, I collected the whole thing. It was just, it was just a beautiful series. It was like golden age characters with like a lot of world war two history. Intermixed, and it was such a great comic book. I just loved it. It was called the all-star squadron. All-star squadron. Do you nice. have uh, one prized possession either, either um, sentimentally or in value uh, out of everything that you've got there? Uh, you can't see it here. Uh, the one, probably my favorite thing is I have um, a war medal uh, from my great great grandfather from the Fenian raids of eighteen sixty six. It was given to him by Queen Victoria, uh, but it was given a little bit quite after his life, or after a little bit quite a later. It was about eighteen ninety when he received it finally. But mm-hmm. it was a time when we weren't even a country. I think that's kind of kind of cool if you think about it. So, wow, cool. that's cool. Yeah. So- you're uh, an acclaimed, actually, award-winning actor, or sorry, not actor, um, writer, <laughs> <No>. director, <laughs> writer, director, and uh, producer. And you're uh, involved in a couple shows that Brandon has been uh, involved in, or you've cast Brandon in those shows. One of them mm-hmm. upcoming in Fringe. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about your production company, Minmar Gaslight. Uh, but first, as we do with all of our guests here, we just we're going to throw you to the wolves. This first section is called one minute life story where Brandon is going to throw 60 seconds on the clock and you can go from conception up to the current day or maybe in the future and tell us Stephen Elliott Jackson's one minute life story starting now. Uh, so I was born and raised in a small town, Manitoba called Minto uh, and had a hundred people growing up. Uh, I am seventh generation Canadian, um, English, Irish, Scottish, Italian. Uh, I went to school first in Brandon. Uh, I didn't really start script writing until I hit Brandon University, though I recognized it earlier on. Uh, I graduated from University of Regina in film and video production and theater. Uh, I moved to Toronto about 20 years ago. Uh, In 2007, I won my first prize for a play called The Save Tennessee uh, at the Toronto Fringe for Best Best New Play, came in second. 
And then I end up winning Best New Play at the Toronto Fringe in 2017 for a play called The Seat Next to the King. Uh, in 2020, I then end up winning uh, Best New Play for Hamilton Fringe for a play called Three Ordinary Men. Uh, I dig into history. I dig into comic books. I dig into real people all the time. And that's really, you know, a lot of what I write. I have a partner named Todd who is in the other room snoozing or eating hamburger helper. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, that's pretty much me. Boom. Boom. Jackson in one minute, ladies and gentlemen. That was tight. That might have been, yeah. you can tell you're a writer. You you know your way around. <laughs> yeah. How do you condense? How do you condense? <laughs> yeah, there was structure. There might have been a thesis statement in there, maybe some topic sentences. That was good. Sometimes we have stand-up comedians in here, and it's just a, it's kind of a weird, uh, just rambling until they run out of time. So yeah, <laughs> well, I, I think I think stand-up comedians have to like be ready for when something either goes right or doesn't go right. And right. I think you know, thankfully, I can script. You know, I, I I've got a little bit of leeway before that happens. <laughs> <laughs> You you create the backup plan, right? Oh yeah, oh, and trust me, and Brandon knows this. Sometimes you write something, and you go, "Oh, that was really not a good thing to say. Let's take that out." Yeah, <laughs> we did that with this script. Read the current one. Yeah, we're cutting that. Yeah, no, that oh, yeah. Make sense. yeah. Well, I just gone. made fun of myself. <laughs> <laughs> And I also noticed in your one minute life story that you've got quite a Brandon connection. You've got yeah. uh, your, your Brandon days happened a long time ago and now you've continued with Brandon Knox here. That's uh, special. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. No, I, I grew up just south of Brandon, Manito uh, Brandon Manitoba and that's where I, my brother still lives and well, almost all my family. I'm the only one in Ontario. So I moved away and everyone stayed. <laughs> so yeah. And then Brandon, I, I met about what, three years ago. Yeah. 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 It's hilarious because we're both in the theater and we actually haven't done anything like in the completely theater, theater yet. Yeah. That's kind of funny. It's it's all been digital. Oh, we lost Lars. Oh yeah, he'll come back. Oh, um, <laughs> my video's laggy as f uh, right now, but uh, you know what do you do? Nothing. I empathize. I empathize. Yeah, I had just yeah. got a new new laptop and it would be probably the same thing. So don't worry. Yeah, it's, I'm not sure why it's doing it, but if you're listening, you uh, probably sounds perfect right now. So don't worry about it. Uh, we, we, uh, we always like to know how people got started. Um, like when, when you were younger, how did you first get into either, uh, like theater writing? Like what was your first, um, um, like, <laughs> well, I, run, I can put it back to about like, uh, grade six. I remember I had an English teacher named Diane Cruz who, uh, I was a super shy kid, like when I was growing up and I didn't really get out of that until much got older, but she really helped me. Uh, we used to have these weekly meetings in, in class. And what what they were was every kid had to do an activity. So it was like to read a tongue twister. Um, I don't know. Teach a kid, everyone in the room something. Uh, do a book review. That was my favorite. Like when it was the book review, it was like I would just bring books to life in front of people. Uh, and just, and I love reading. And Brandon knows I love reading. I read like 100 books a year. So wow. I, I get into that. When I got into high school, um, I, again, theater wasn't something I could really do because it was a small town. It was a hundred people. The town I went to high school in was even work. Well, it was a little better. It was like 5,000. But, um, the difference was, was that I would have to drive there to do it. And so I never did any theater in high school, but I recognized very quickly that I was doing small bits of theater as I went along. Like I remember doing a scene from, uh, uh To Kill a Mockingbird for a class and, a horrible southern accent but i was at least tried uh 
And then I remember in grade 12, we had to do this assignment where we read a biography and we had to portray a scene for the class from that person's life. And I decided to do a guy who was a psychiatrist going to a psychiatrist. I think that thought that was really kind of fascinating. And it was this really weird story about um, a son who found out his father was, had done, had mental, mental um, things done to him in Montreal that were actually funded by the CIA. And it was a for real true story. And I, so I do this monologue about talking about my dad and all this sort of stuff. And I look to the back of the room when I finish, and my English teacher was just crying. Like it was just bawling in the back room. I'm going, okay, why did no other child elicit this reaction? <laughs> no one else in my class did this. Like everyone else was very kind of safe. And I, I just kind of let it go. I sang Swanee at one point because that was their favorite song. Um, and I realized when, wait, I did something. I don't know what I did, but it seemed to be a good thing. And so I think I should keep doing that. Uh, I got kind of sidetracked into film because I also did a film in grade 12 as well too that had won a prize for in the region for um, just being a, just best documentary. Uh, it was about the history of my hometown. So I got kind of sidetracked into film, but theater seemed to always be grabbing me from some other direction. Like it was kind of, I took some drama classes. I was not a good actor really per se, but I loved writing. I loved writing portion of it. Um, and then uh, when I decided to pursue the film stuff a little bit, I realized that when I was taking all these film classes that I was, it was intriguing to watch film, but it was so technical. I really want to know about humans. I really want to know about, I want to do stuff with that. And a lot of my stories were not technically great, but they were telling stories of these human beings and stuff. And so I started doing a little, lot more theater classes where I could go to see theater and participate in the theater. And, and that's when I started to write. I had a, a teacher uh, in, I guess my fourth year, I, I got to know her my first year and her name was Mary Blackstone. And we actually still talk to each other now and then and stuff like that. And oh. I, I, I there was a, a reading recently out University of Regina and I joined in and she went, Oh my God, Stephen. Oh my God. Yeah. And it was kind of, we had a nice little reunion going on. <laughs> uh, but she really taught me about just digging into stories and digging into scripts and taking your time to read them. Uh, I read Streetcar Named Desire with her. I remember doing that in the class and she asked, I, I, I was, I, I still speed read a little bit, but I sped read the play a little bit and I missed a, an amazing, like, plot point and she asked me about it and I went what what are you talking about what are you talking about her being raped uh, <laughs> I missed that completely and she said go back go back and read the script and go through it again go through it again and I ended up doing a one-on-one -on -one intensive for a semester with her uh, where I wrote this whole long script I one that I actually had written for my dad for a Christmas present which confused him greatly, but uh, <laughs> nothing confuses a farmer dad, like a, a theater script. I swear, you know, it's like, I, I put a shirt with it just to make sure that he was okay at the end of it. Mm -hmm. you know, but he ended up reading it all the way through, but I ended up developing that piece with her. And it was just an amazing experience, just kind of just digging like that. And I realized that's what I love doing. That's, that's what I want to be doing all the time. Uh, I, but it's hard because you're in, in a small community, a small town, and, you know, it's not the most, you know, thought of as valuable commodity to go from a small town. But mm -hmm. it was when I came to Toronto and I was still kind of writing scripts and still kind of doing stuff. And I entered this script called The State of Tennessee into the Best New Play Contest, the Toronto Fringe, where all of a sudden I came in second and I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I just, it didn't make no sense to me, but I was kind of like, okay, let's, let's, I think this is what I've got to do. And then when I won the second time, that's when I said to myself, okay, 
this is this is it. Like this is what I want to be doing all the time as much as I possibly can. Any job I have will be just in service of whatever that is. So it's like when I'm done my, you know, now I'm working at Crane Barrel. But I once I'm done there, I'm back home writing scripts. Like that's mm -hmm. what I do. So love it. Yeah. So that that piece state of Tennessee, that was sort of is that kind of like Tennessee Williams fan fiction type thing where you took a little bit and extrapolated or it was more based on his real life or it, it had a little bit of his real life in there. It's about a young writer, pretty much myself, uh, going to visit him in, in Key West, Florida to learn how to write plays and then getting caught up in my own Tennessee Williams script while I was there. Brilliant. Uh, and it was, it was a hard play to do because there's a lot about my relationship with my mother that's in that play. Cause there was a lot about Tennessee Williams and his mother that was so intriguing and such. So and uh, I had a really funny experience with that when we actually produced it. My brother came to town and he never read the script at that point. Now he reads every script. But <laughs> I wrote the script and he, uh, it had to be the talk back night. Uh, and uh, he sees his play and he hears certain things that my mother had called me or said to me at, at, when I came out, came out as being gay. Uh, and uh, he was like, he said, he, he thought he's gonna be smart and start asking questions during the talk back. And, uh, well, did she really say that? I said, oh, yeah, that's what she said. And blah, blah. and he was like, whoa, I didn't know any of this. And so we went up, out for a drink afterwards and talked about the script and talked about what happened. And uh, But I bring in me sometimes the scripts. Sometimes I don't. Uh, I've always learned that if you write about yourself, if you can't see yourself as the bad guy in the story, you shouldn't be writing about yourself. <laughs> then, it's just, then it just becomes vain at that point and says, you know, mm -hmm. I've, you know, yeah, so I some have written, sometimes written myself, but yeah, that's a little different. Well, because your next play, The Seat Next to the King, has been performed all across Canada and I believe in some <laughs> places in the U.S.? I, well, yeah, we did it in, uh, we did it here in Toronto, and then we did it in Kitchener, which was a great experience. Um, and then it got done down Buffalo, and then there's a company down in California that did a play reading of it during COVID. Mm -hmm. And it was really cool because it's a super intimate play. It does not work almost at all for COVID, like yeah. view cams and stuff like that. But yeah. it, it, they did a great job and they did it, you know, it was, what was great about that production was it was the first time I saw it done with age appropriate actors to the characters. Oh, and man. that makes a huge difference, right? You know, I, I will always love the Toronto production. It was my favorite. It's the, we dug the deepest into that one, but it was interesting seeing the actors of that age playing the parts that they're supposed to be playing. Right. Yeah. What, uh, yeah, what age were they supposed experience. to be playing at? Sorry? What age were they supposed to be played at? The two characters? <laughs> in their mid-40s. Oh, okay. And so what we had two actors who were in their like, mid-20s. Oh, okay, yeah. And Because it, it was hard. You know, it's casting can be always so tricky. Tanisha Tate, who directed it, said to me the most beautiful thing, which was, it doesn't matter the ages. It matters the chemistry. If the chemistry works, it will work. Mm -hmm. And no one will even think about it. Uh, it's kind of, you know, how sometimes we see Shakespeare plays of different uh, diverse backgrounds of actors and it might be the daughter of someone and you don't think about it because you're so caught up in the story that you don't think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Unless you have to, yeah. <laughs> unless that's part of the story, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, definitely. It was, it was interesting. And definitely in the one in Buffalo was very special production. Cause that, I mean, the half of your play just done outside of Canada was just so cool anyways. And I got to go down for the opening and they, they called me up to do, uh, one rehearsal, right? And I was like, kind of like, I'm a very non-interactive writer when it comes to rehearsals. I kind of like, once I've written the play, 
it's now the director to take on the play and do stuff. And to like get asked a lot of questions in the room was a little odd. Cause I'm like, I don't want to step on the director's toes or what he's planning to do and stuff like that. And so, uh, but that was, it was unique and it was a lot of fun. And I still talk to those actors now and then I kept up with them through COVID as well too. Uh, I, the, the one who played Walter in the show down there, I'm dying to write him something else to give him another, another script because, uh, and Brandon, you probably know this. Sometimes where actors get caught into certain patterns of, of roles and directors only see that actor. Mm-hmm. He's this guy who is a song and dance man. Like he, he can do any musical you can think of. And then he does Walter in the seat next to the King, which is like the least musical, the most like wrought character probably he would ever get. And yeah. he was like, I love doing this. I finally could do a character that was nothing like everything else. Yeah. One of the things you said uh, a little earlier, Stephen, that I love is how you mentioned when you were getting into film, you always would return to theater. And that sort of parallels uh, one of our acting coach, Tom Todoroff. He always often mentions that really the only training for an actor is theater um, for a couple of reasons. One is it's typically the best writing, but two, it's like you to to be able to walk on stage and carry carry a whole scene or a whole show yourself where you're on stage. There's no cuts. There's no redos. There's, there's no editing, there's no cut, cut, cut to hide things. There's all, all of that stuff. So it's very pure. Whereas on film set, it's not really about, it's, I mean, it's more about all the camera stuff and the lighting and it's, it's more so crew than actors. There's a sense being an actor on a film set, you almost feel like you're just in the way. Like you're like, am I, where do, where do you guys need me? I'm just going to stand here and you move all this stuff around. Like, Stand against this wall. Yeah. And if you yeah. need me, you can push me somewhere right. else. And the other thing about film is, is typically there's like, um, like zero or like 0.01 uh, amount of rehearsals too, whereas theater can be weeks and weeks and weeks or months and months and months. And then yeah. film. Well, is in, in film school, that was the problem I had was that when I do film projects, I would rehearse with the actors for like over and over and over and then turn the camera on. <laughs> <laughs> and my my camera people would get so mad at me. They're like, "Okay, can I just shoot something? Can we just shoot it like twenty times and do that?" I'm like, "No, I want to make sure we get it right now. Like, why do I? Why am I gonna make an actor do it over and over and over and over again, knowing none will be used? Where I think a theater, it, it's so dangerous, right? You know, and, and I'm sure you know. Ed Brennan's an actor. He knows this. Like, if you forget a line. <sighs> Yeah. Shit hits the fan. Like yeah. you, you've got to figure it out. You've got to figure out how to get out of it. And you've got to figure out now. And I will tell you, um, I, I always reward community theater actors a little, sometimes a little more than professional actors because community theater actors know that's going to be a possibility of happening. And I've got to learn how to get out of it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Where professional actors have had this like amazing amount of training. They get, you know, sometimes way more time to rehearse something. And when if when something goes wrong, it's like an anomaly of nowhere. Community theater actors, it could happen at any moment, anytime. You don't know how to get out of it. But I, I, and I saw this. I happened. I was watching a production in Winnipeg when I was studying theater in, in Brandon. We went to Winnipeg to see a show uh, of Our Country's Good, which is a beautiful little play. And the actor just forgot the line, and he just stood there. He stood there for like a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, and he finally had to say to someone, he's, he's turned off stage and said, what's my line? And that's, I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, like you can't do that. You've got to move on. You've got to move on. And, you know, I, I that's why sometimes, you know, and some people always go, oh, community actors, you know, they're just, you know, I'm like, no, sometimes community actors are incredible people and can do incredible things, you know, with a lot, 
uh, doing a, day, a job during the day before they get there uh, with far less rehearsal time and a wide vari variety of actors they're working with. Mm -hmm. They've got to work with so many different levels, right? So. Brandon, we've talked about that lots where one of our favorite things in theater shows is those sort of happy accidents, whether it's a line or a, yeah. somebody screws up blocking or they forget to they forget to place a prop and the, the gun <laughs> that you need or the knife you need is like, look at this knife, but the knife yeah. is not there. So you're like, oh shit, what do I do now? Um, that's It's always one of my favorite things in, in a live show. And it also, if you're doing a run of shows, that's those are the things for you as the actor that make each show fresh and and you use the word danger too is there is a slight just enough where you're sort of on your toes and another favorite thing of mine is um there's there's a moment between actors on it happens in film too but it's more so on stage i think uh, where you because on film you're just like oh fuck i fucked up like like or somebody mm -hmm. else cut but can't yell cut in, in theater but the moment where something goes wrong like you've missed a line or you've skipped a part and the you look at the other person as the character like you're seeing them as a character but you also see actor eyes like where the where the, where the gloss are over. save this save, save us. this where are save um, please help me and, and similar to that guy that you mentioned who was like called off stage line i've been on stage where the the lead actor uh opposite me it was sort of at the time it was community theater uh, and we didn't have a ton of rehearsals and it was a very it was a pretty heavy script dialogue wise uh, in his defense. But he was on stage and he dropped his line and sort of like through his teeth was like, where where are we? What's what's my line kind of thing? And <laughs> but like there's people in the front row like six feet from us or, or less. So it's like, I, you know, you're whispering to me, but everyone here can like somebody can hear and see you. So he's like, what's my line? So that production, I I became the guy that I was always on my toes where we'd go out to start a scene. And in my head, I'm like, be ready for the point where someone drops a line and I got to bail it out with some improv moment. Like we're like, hmm, aren't you? Why don't you tell us about this? So like just some like softball where I just got to lob them like, oh, yeah. interesting. Weren't you going to tell me about this situation? And like, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and here's something. There's, there's another there's a hidden element in theater that you don't think about, which are those wonderful people who don't get enough credit, which are ASMs, assistant stage managers yeah. who are on the book, know where you've gone wrong and try to get you back. Uh, yeah. I can think of two situations in particular where oh my god it was a, a disaster was happening on stage uh and i remember one where an actor skipped two pages completely of the script while on, on stage and i heard and i went wait a second that's not where we're supposed yeah. to be i have to get this other actor on stage right now so i ran like bolted off to get this other actor to get him on stage well thankfully the two other actors besides that other person who skipped managed somehow to weave the story right back <laughs> to get them back so we had time that was a beautiful one the yeah. other one i remember distinctly was and it's one of those things where actors you know sometimes they get really caught up in the moment in a role and they kind of lose their mind right. <laughs> and it was, it was a scene where the person was moving out of the apartment and like tossing things into a suitcase and they usually had a routine they would go from item to item and item around the room and grab that thing. And then one time this girl, and she, I, 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 let, I don't let her live it down ever. I still friends with her. I keep up with her. And you're at that time. Um, she grabbed a vase that she oh, never no. grabbed before and threw it in the suitcase. It shatters inside the suitcase. And I'm going, oh no, we got broken glass on stage. <laughs> 
and you're both in your like bare feet. Oh God. Oh. Like, yeah. And thankfully they managed somehow. And then at intermission, I ran out there, grabbed the suitcase, hauled it off the stage. I swept everything up between the inter. Thank God it was intermission. Thank God there was a space <laughs> to do it. And just everything. Like I was like, <laughs> It was just crazy, yeah. but it's, that's, that's again, a little bit of that dangerous theater, right? Like if you do that in a film project, you stop the camera, someone comes in, vacuums, everything vac cleans up everything and they walk away, reset it nicely. Cause right. you have to have continuity. Uh, and we head back on, but they yeah. got, they got nine vases locked and loaded for, from, uh, from <laughs> yeah. we had that one and it never yeah. showed up again. Amazingly enough. <laughs> <laughs> It was final to the production before then, and then we just cut it. Yeah. Well, that, that play was funny because it also had a live goldfish in it. They actually want you to have a live goldfish in the, in, the, in the, and that was supposed to go in the suitcase too at some point. Like you, okay. you don't ever do that. But, but I remember that show because at the end of every show, I'd walk out during the curtain call with the fishbowl, bow, and then walk. Nice. <laughs> That's That's that great. fish somehow lived i don't know how that fish lived so well he lived a full year after the show finished actually nice wow. did the fish get a standing oh every night oh god yeah that fish got such a clapping at the end of every show it was like because they just weren't expecting it yeah like, like, <laughs> any any animal that's ever in a show on stage always gets a standing ovation Every but dog I've seen. Oh, I, and I hear you, but you, there's also the, uh, the anti-animal thing. It's like, I do not trust a show that has animals and children. Mm. Like, no, no. Like, like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang the Musical, that should not happen. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's just a disaster way. Too many to dogs, too many children. Okay, just too many, you know. Yeah. Okay, so Stephen, what was your very first paid gig as a writer or theater practitioner or producer i'm not sure it actually has happened <laughs> i mean you you i mean as a writer I, I i guess okay i guess it would be state of tennessee because technically i got like second place so i got like 200 200 bucks for that okay sweet um I, so i guess yeah i shouldn't complain too much i actually haven't had my first like where they commissioned me to write something mm -hmm. so i can tell you something's happening but anyways uh it's but it hasn't happened yet that way but yeah as a writer you I, I'm, I'm a little bit of an oddball on this. I mean, I will take a, 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 an equal cut with everyone else, but I remember seat next to King. Um, we did this just so well that it was so great to actually pay actors well <laughs> for a show. Like sometimes like, and, and Brandon knows this cause I've given him so little money, but, um, <laughs> but it's so nice to actually pay actors really well when you get a, sh a show that does something like that. Um, and seat next to King was one of those shows where I was able to do that. Uh, I always pay actors anyway, and they'll always ask me and go, did we make any money? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you walk away. Um, but see, Next to King was so cool that even when it came to the second run, I said, I want like 500 bucks just to replace the the set piece. And I gave the rest of the money to the actors and the, two, the director and the stage manager at that point. I said, I don't need any more money from the production now. I'm, I'd rather the actors get the money for this at this point in time. I've kind of finished writing. So I finished my job. So <laughs> yeah, so that, that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I, I've won like a few pri prizes for plays and stuff like that. When that's where I get paid, but not like as a regular thing. I wish, but not there yet. Hopefully Sunday. Yeah. So what's been the most interesting place that you've staged a performance? Now this can be positive. This can be really weird like there could be poop in the stage or on the stage or something 
Yeah, you, it's odd. I mean, I've been very fortunate to get theater spaces in my career. So I'll be very fortunate because I'm always very conscious of, you know, where the actors have to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and usually I'm, for a long time, I was always self-producing. So it was kind of like, you don't want to give your actors a dangerous space. So I will say there, it was an almost happened type of show. There was a show I had called real life superhero and I wanted to do it during the Toronto fringe. Uh, but I want to do as a, like a BYOV. Like that's what, at one point with a fringe, I couldn't get in to save my life. That bloody lottery. Uh, I went 17 years, 17, 16 years without getting picked either for a wait list or in uh, seat next to the King was the first time I ever got in per se on my technically my own right. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, that's why I love that contest so much, but I almost did um, a BYOV at one point. It was only the Tarnasic school board rules that wouldn't allow me to do it. And it was going to be at central tech and it was going to be outside in the garbage dump area. Cause mm-hmm. we needed a, a garbage bin and they were so like protective of that garbage bin like he was really like, you're going to hurt the guy. I'm like, how am I going to hurt a big metal garbage? I'm like, I'm not running into it with a vehicle. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I'm lifting the lid and closing it. Like that's pretty much the essential part of that whole garbage bin. And they so you're assaulting the garbage bin. Is what I, I certainly was. And it, it was gonna be a fun story. We've done it. We did do, we did produce it. We created a garbage bin. We built one, but, uh, but I really want to do it with an actual garbage bin. And I, I think I would look, look way better. It was about, um, a guy who dresses up as a superhero at night. And after he's found murdered, uh, they start to dig into why he decided to do all this. And it's from told from like five different perspectives, including the person who murdered him. Interesting. Yeah. It was a fun script. I, I We were going to do it in Brandon, Manitoba at one point. Uh, but they were like, oh, well, there's not quite enough action. And I'm like going like, okay, there's, Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I, Brennan knows I'm a very, I'm very dialogue heavy. I don't write, write a lot of stage directions. And some people mis- take that for, there's no actions in the play. I'm like, well, no, you can create actions without me writing you, you know, Brandon sits down on a chair. Brandon sits, stands up from chair. Brandon sits down on couch now. Like that sort of thing, right? And it's like, I don't write that stuff. I like, why does it matter if I write? Like a director could change, good, change good. it anyway. Exactly. If you read a script, yeah. those little like, um, those director scripts, you know, they're all stage directions that a stage manager wrote down, not what the right. writer wrote. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes there's like how, how you say everything. Like he said it this way. He said softly, he said loudly, or it's caps or it's exclamation points. And yeah, I mean, I, and I write those sometimes right. I don't write a lot of diet. Like I don't write a lot of dialect. I kind of hope we'll work and figure out together. Cause I've got to figure out what the actor can do too. Right. I mean, right. I mean, an actor who's a professional actor will get trained in dialects. If I get a state, if I get a community theater production, I can't expect that. I mean, they might get some of the dialogue figured out, but, you know, we'll figure it out together. Like, that's that's the other thing, too. I, I really love that when directors and actors work on my script, that they work it out together. It's not just the same me. Here's the script. Now you guys work it out. Yeah. Love it. Um <laughs> How did you first get started with fringes? Uh, what was your what was your first one? And and um, how's I mean I think it's yeah. sort of a renowned wor- like around the world. It's uh, for a lot of actors and for a lot of playwrights. That's your first crack at uh, at getting your work up and seen by live audiences. But how did it start for you? Yeah, uh, fringes are awesome um, just because it's not about being evaluated. It's just about luck of the draw in a lot of ways, except for the, the new play contests. Um, so uh, I didn't get in, like, 
after I won for State of Tennessee, you don't get a production for second place, unfortunately. You only get for first. So, again, I had to get waiting for that bloody lottery to happen and never quite happened. And then my partner got picked in the lottery in 2010. And I did my first kind of show on a stage, which was called Brothers in Arms. Uh, it was uh, a two-part story. Uh, one was in 19, 1940s. One was in 1990s. Uh, it was about um, a comic book writer, a soldier – uh, who's his brother who's lost his arm and a girl who gets caught between. And it's, it was kind of, it was told in both perspectives between world war two and the Iraq conflict. Uh, Cause I, I love how comic books fall in that. So that was our first show we did. And I got the worst review I've ever got. Um, I loved it. It was awesome. Um, I, the day we, the day the review happened, uh, my partner was at the fringe office. He was working at the box office and I talked to him. I said, Oh, did, did we get any reviews or anything? And he was like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, you know we got a review, don't you? And he's like, yes. <laughs> I said, well, just read it to me. He said, Stephen, I don't want it. Like, no, just just read it to me. <laughs> and he go, and he, <laughs> and he reads it and said, it was a one star from iWeekly. And it said, Stephen Jackson has had his theater cherry popped. That was the first line. And I was like, and I heard this and... I went silent on the phone and then I just started laughing, just hilarious laughing. Cause I'm like, I said, Todd, you've got to understand. I've been waiting for that review all my life. Like that's the, where, where do you go from there? Like you can't go any worse. <laughs> I mean, that's what's worse than a one star review. I guess a half star, I guess I know. I don't know if I weekly did half stars, but they always did at least one, I guess that was my worst review. And I, and, but then we end up getting like a three star from now from, um, uh, John Kaplan, who was awesome. And after that, yeah, you get, get used to it. So, but yeah, the, the Bro brothers in arms was my first theater play. And then I ended up doing the next year, I ended up stage managing a show called the last rock and roll show that was in the same venue as uh, Kim's convenience uh, at the, at the, at the, um, the Bathurst street theater. And it was, that was an awing experience. Just the power of theater and what it can do was seeing that audience come in for that show, not our show. <laughs> Our show was great, but you know, seeing Kim's convenience audience come in and you just knew they were something very special, very special that moment in time. Um, yeah. a, fr a friend of mine, uh, Anto Chan, who's a comedian who was here on the weekend and he does, he's a stand up comic uh, actor. He also does a lot of poetry and spoken word. He did a, a few years ago at the Toronto Fringe pre COVID. I don't know if it was just his show or if it was a series of shows, but they were called Shed Talks instead of TED Talks, they were Shed Talks. And it was one performer literally in a shed with like, I think they sold five tickets. And then it was, so it was just this intimate and they, they would, maybe whatever they were, 20 minutes long, half an hour long. And then they would just cycle in five more people, five more people, five more people, but really yeah. intimate. I love those ones at Fringe um, where they're like the format's a little different or often location specific where they are in an alley or they're in some yeah. park somewhere. It's, it's such a... Yeah. It's, Super creative. I, I stage managed a shed show actually at the fringe uh, right. one year and it was quite hilarious. Um, but because you could get, you could do as many shows as you want in that two hours you had the shed, you could have eight. I think we had eight people in the shed at a, at a time, uh, but it was really good because that there was one night where one of the, one of the actors families came late and missed the show. And we still had like a half an hour, like left of the shed and so I said, no, you guys, you're going to go in again. You're going to do the show again one more time. 
And the actor was like, no, it's, I'm, I can't do the show. I, I, I'm tired. I'm like, you just did 20 minutes. Like, come on. Right. <laughs> so I forced her to do her family, a show for her family. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Hi, mom. <laughs> like, yeah. Hi, dad. Yeah. And, well, and, 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 yeah, fringes are so fascinating because, yeah, like, I remember when we did Seat Next to the King, to have a show sell out like that was just the oddest experience in the world for me. Like, it was like... It, it, it's such a great feeling, but such a scary feeling at the same time. I remember after the show, we got these like standing ovations the first night and me and the actors, the director we, and stage man, we all went back to the fringe tent. And, you know, when shows succeed, you hear all these actors like, woohoo and rawing and everything else. We were dead silent, just sitting at a table going, what just happened? Like, <laughs> we, we knew we had a good show, but like, this is something different. Like this is another level and I think we are all very cognizant of the fact that this doesn't happen all the time. We're going to appreciate every, every moment of this because I've seen fringe shows, which started off super great. And then something happened halfway during the fringe and it changed the trajectory of that show. Uh, and that can happen at any moment. And it could happen to like a show like that. The one I wrote too, because it's about race, right. And white guy writing about race, right. That it could change in, the, in a heartbeat. And it, it thankfully didn't. We kind of, you know, any moments that came where we got a little, you know, negative press, we just kind of, that's the nature of the game. You know, you never know what you're going to get. Um, but, and we stayed friends. Like, that's the other thing, too, during the whole thing. Like, when you do shows, I always said the most, most important thing about having a successful show is that at the end of, if six months later, you can meet with those actors and everyone again and have just a great time together, just hanging out, talking about the show you've had a successful show. It doesn't matter how many audience you have. It's whether or not you survive the experience of actually making it. That's mm -hmm. a successful show. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's always a wonderful thing. I, I remember when I did inch of your life for those eight months, like I still talk to every single one of the people in the cast. Like it, it just bonded us for life. And like, wait, you, you, you don't get to do a three part eight month show independently. <laughs> Like that's never really done, and like that oh, was Matt, just Massimo. That's Massimo's genius. So that yeah. putting that show together, right? He mm -hmm. wanted to create an experience where you could connect through. Like that doesn't happen very often. Like we think the only time we can ever think stuff like that is like Angels of America, maybe where you have a two part yeah. play, right? But mm -hmm. what he did with that show, it it made you want to keep coming back to the theater to see it again. It was like a TV show, right? That's yeah. that's his kind of background, right? And that yeah, there's pure genius in that. Pure genius, mm -hmm. that was absolutely. Great. Yeah. I saw that. So I, I want to get into like the later parts of your fringe and specifically the laughter. Um, yeah. So we are doing a production for Hamilton Fringe this year, which opens next week, July 14th. Um, that is called The Laughter. It's about Lou Costello and Lucille Ball. So let's talk a little bit about how uh, you started writing that production and <laughs> how we sort of started the research for it. Yeah, it... it, it this was a different way of coming about to a script by all means. I had this spot in the Hamilton fringe because of this pl pl uh, play winning a prize there, but we couldn't do it there because it just, it didn't feel right in the atmosphere. Um, and so I had this spot. <laughs> Brandon knows this a little bit, but I had another idea for a show I was going to do beforehand, but it fell apart uh, because I couldn't get the actors together and everything. So one night I was like, I got the spot. I had a great time working with Kate and Brandon a year previous on this thing called the cage, which we had such a great time. And I just asked them both. And I said, Hey, um, if you had a chance to play any character in history, who would you want to play? 
And Brandon came off right at the top and said, Lou Costello. And I was like, okay, um, okay, that's okay. This could be interesting. Um, and he told me why. He told me this incredible story that happened in 1943 uh, during the radio show and everything else. And then I looked, I looked over at Kate in, the, in her Zoom screen and went, okay, Kate, so who would you want to play? And I'm sitting there going, please, God, make it somewhere close. Like, if I have to, if you say like Catherine the Great, I'll be like, oh, okay, we're screwed. <laughs> we're, yeah. This is not going to work out for one of you. <laughs> but she says Lucille Ball. And I'm like, okay. And she shows me this picture. She showed the picture of what she looked like in Halloween, dressed up as Lucille Ball, and she looked amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so now I've still got to, but still, I've still got to connect these two characters together. How am I going to do this? Well, then the coincidence of a lifetime happens and it was that lucille ball was on the on that radio show that Luce abbott Costello had two weeks after this event that happened and it's like two weeks that's oh my god that's how perfect is that moment right and i remember playing like radio clips that night trying to play them through our, our zoom lenses yeah. and then i knew i said okay well now i've got to write this thing i've got to write this and that makes it you know it's tricky because you have these large in life characters and this happens anytime you write history, by the way. That's like really, it, people have a conceived notion of who these characters are. I've got a play about Mary Todd Lincoln that people won't even recognize who she was because most people think it was this crazy lady who did stuff and had seances. And I'm like, okay, there's a reason why she did this stuff. Like, you know, but this case, it was like these two really funny people, but at a moment in life where it wasn't that funny, like it wasn't, you know, there was a lot of hardships they were going through this point in time. And so I, I'm kind of the master of finding those like moments, right? Just where I, I love, I love finding those like tiny little moments where things change. And, but we knew we had to write a piece that had some laughter in it and some funniness. Cause you, you can't write about Lucas Stell and Lucille Ball and not have some laughs, <laughs> but there's some very serious stuff that these two are going through in this moment in time. And it was just, just such a joy to write for the, write this story, it, to write it for both Brandon and Kate to see two actors like just dig, and dig and every week, like every time we rehearsed, it was like, they just got a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper. And the point, you know, I remember some one, one point saying to Kate, I said, I felt bad. I felt like I wrote more for Lou than for, for Lucille ball. And that she just kept pulling stuff out. Yeah. Pulling in more. And by the end of it, they're on equal footing. And I was like, Oh, thank God. <laughs> Cause that's, that's a horrible feeling when you write a two hander and it's obviously one person's show more than the other person. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, some people find that with seat next to King a little bit. Like they, they feel like, Oh, it's, it's Bayard's story, but it's like, no, there's more to Walter than you. You have to give him some credit on this. He's on stage a lot more. So, um, so yeah, no, it was just a great experience writing it. Yeah. And it was a fantastic experience working on it. Like uh, it, it really was a dream come true production for me specifically, just because I have been wanting to do uh, Lou Costello and tell this story for 11 years i've held on to this story and and have and had no idea what to do with it until i i finally spoke up to you and kate and like our our teacher tom totteroff always says it's uh say yes to what you want and say no to what you don't want and this was something i've always wanted to do so thank you so much Stephen, for giving giving me that opportunity to to figure out how to find Lou Costello's voice, figure out how I was going to be able to tell this story. And uh, it, it really was a dream come true for me. So I thank you so much. Yeah. It, it really was such a, a pleasure. 
And, you know, the, the fact that you said that, how you, how you're felt open enough to say that, you know, uh, there's so many times in our lives where we don't feel open to say our opinions or our feelings on things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've always thought, you know, like when I'm, when I'm directing or when I'm acting or when I'm writing, uh, I say, you know, I'll, I'll tell actors, tell me if there's something that you think that needs to happen here. Cause that could be something that saves a show. doesn't mean I'm always going to use it, but it might be something that connects something that we don't have. And, to have actors as wanting to do a project as you are is the greatest thing. It's, you know, it's, it's, you know, everyone has something at stake at doing something and that makes the biggest difference. That means you should come up with the best project from that. Mm-hmm. Right. And just for clarity's sake, for the audience, no, normally you'd be staging this on a stage, but this year they're still doing uh, digital or, or uh, virtual. Yes. So you guys yeah. got it Zoom style and then recorded it. Did you? Yeah. So, it was intriguing because again, you know, zoom plays are a little tricky sometimes. Uh, but we did with this one, we really tried to give the feeling that they were in the same room at the same time. And that was a, a key to doing this play the way we did it. And we, and how I wrote it and how I set it up to make it work that way. Um, yeah, it is, it's part of the, what's called the digital exclusives of the, of the fringe. They really want to do live, but you know, we weren't there yet. And definitely a few months ago, we were definitely not thinking it was going to be a live show. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, to create that feeling of you're in the room with these characters. I, I it's looking into the dressing room mirror of these two characters and what they're going through and what they're not telling and what they are, what they are telling, what they're not telling. Uh, that was kind of key to getting this project done. Yeah. Amazing. Um, we actually do have the first two minutes of the laughter. If you guys want to, do you guys want to see that? Teaser. Yeah. Little, uh, Lucille Ball, Luke Estella teaser here. Let's roll the clip. Rolling the clip. Thirty minutes. Who's there? I don't know. What? What's on second? Now, for Christ's sake, I invented that sketch. That's the last thing I want to hear. Get in here. Oh, hey, dear. I didn't think anybody was back from the restaurant. Well, I wasn't very hungry. I didn't go. Oh, you gotta eat. I'm a living testament to that. It's different for ladies, Lou. I've got a whole bunch of guys in Hollywood who would love for me to lose weight, whether I was, well, your size, or a toothpick. They try to force those pills, but I tell them where to shove them. Yeah, well, this isn't quite Hollywood. It's a stuffy sound boot in New York City. Well, at least it's something, Lou. Besides, Hollywood's not exactly calling. Well, you can uh, grab something off the catering table and uh, after the show. So, what brings you by? Come. Have a seat. Well, thanks there, Lou. What are you doing with all the makeup? Ah, you gotta be ready when somebody wants a picture. Some publicity guy comes running in. It's been a while since that's happened for me. Liar, they always want a gal done up. Well, uh, do it for me. A guy shouldn't have more makeup than a lady. It's New York. I can send you to a few places where it's quite the opposite. That is the truth. <laughs> just, uh, you and me? Well, just for you, then. That's the great part of radio. 
No one can see the mistakes. Yeah, it depends on which mistakes those are. Nah, I always like to get it done upright. Makes me feel like I'm doing it live for people in theaters. I can understand that. I figured you would. I miss all the live stuff. There you wow. go. That is the first two minutes of the laughter. Very, so, uh, very apropos there, missing live theater and having to do things uh, <laughs> digitally or in their case, radio wise. Yeah. Well, I, I remember when we were, I was writing it, I was, that was part of it because I knew it was going to be recorded. And, it, you know, it's anything right now, the, theater actors are just missing being on a stage so badly right now. But there's also a lot about, um, just the idea of what we went through this past 18 months. And, you know, there was a lot of sadness that happened through this last, last, last year and a bit. And how does one find laughter when all that stuff's going on? And that's really what the, the idea of the show is. Yeah. Great job by both of you too. Um, the, the, the look and the, uh, the voices and accents and stuff. That was awesome. You were like spot on spitting image. I think that's a character Brandon that you should keep him close to you for a long time. So that anytime anything like, I don't remember a biopic recently. Um, I don't know if there has been one, but I, I would say you're easily in the running to get yourself on screen. Uh, that would that would be a dream. Or, uh, <laughs> the, other, the other question is: After Fringe, do you guys have any plans to carry this on and to do it somewhere else on a stage, or is that just always in the cards for you with your productions? You just see where they land. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've I've learned as a writer not to write for a certain stage. But to find, to write the story you want to write and find out which stage it goes on, uh, and I I find that you're less disappointed that way. <laughs> you know, writing. I, I tell people with writing, it's like if you can't be okay with 95 percent of the time being rejected, then just don't become a writer. Like just right. don't. It's you know you're gonna get piles of reject. Actors the same way, right? It's just like you know you're gonna audition for so many shows and never get any of them. Like and you'll get like one and you'll savor that one. And that's kind of the writing's the same way. I, I would, I would love this one. Really needs to be on a stage. It, you know, there's there's certain aspects, even with this, the sitting down, that there was just so there's limitations you can only do with Zoom a little bit. But there's so much you wanted, like you know, being able to get up and move around, lean a little more, would have been just so nice for these actors and stuff like right. that. Um, what was really cool about it was just just getting that perspective. It was funny to watch that again. And I keep kind of like going because like getting the coloring that background was just like a nightmare uh, for me trying to figure those things out as I'm learning print, Adobe Premiere. But, uh, but there's, I, when I watch it, it's, you know, that zoom back in and, in and out of the characters when they're doing stuff with the, with the makeup and the, in the mirror, just, it made it so, so real to me. So, yeah. Yeah, you definitely pulled it off. As I was watching that, as uh, Lucy came into frame there, it did the interaction between both of you seemed like you were in the same room there. So yeah, it looked great. I forgot for a second that I was like, oh wait, this is a Zoom thing. Interesting. <laughs> well, and that's kind of what we were, honestly, yeah. I remember when we talked about conceiving it, which was we have to get that feel. If you don't get that feel, it's like, you know, and, and you know, I love doing stuff like the woman he painted. I remember Brandon, we had a, goof up where i forgot to save it in gallery mode versus yes. yeah and i was like oh damn it damn it if i save it in gallery mode it would be so different um but this one it was so important to get that feel because we're just craving theater right now and this is about safe as we can get right now mm -hmm. and so uh getting how they looked at each other we talked about this incessantly because it had to happen properly you had to know okay if you're looking straight ahead head if you're looking the opposite person's mirror if you're looking up if you're looking down if you're you know that sort of thing but we're only gonna get the mirror view of that 
And so that's kind of the fun. There's a, I, I won't say what the scene is, but there's a great scene where Brandon tries to get up and leaving. And to get that feeling, uh, you don't get to see what his face says, but you definitely get a feeling from his body about what just happened to him at that moment in time when a piece of information comes out. So uh, yeah, it was just a, a great experience to try and do that. Not that I don't, I, I miss live, just like Lou says, I miss live a lot. But this was a very close experience. What I found most interesting watching uh, the woman he painted and then this back to back was the the camera consciousness within me and within uh, Kate as well, where we both sort of had figured out how to work Zoom and how to work with the camera and what to do with that sort of thing, because you could still see that it was very much in the early stages, especially for me, because I was looking above camera rather than like right beside. And so like you could tell like it's it's just a different feel and it's it feels a lot cleaner in the laughter, like just just how we worked it. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, and we worked really hard. Well, I mean with the other show, the big difference of course was there's six actors and there's yeah. a whole mess of other people, which you can't do very well in zoom. Zoom only really works. If you've got two actors, mm-hmm. the minute you've got more than two, it goes to a different line and it's like, okay. Like even like the cage, like um, you guys did a great job translating the cage over to something else. But then we had, cause we wanted to have the cage in there to some degree, this bird cage in the, in the mm-hmm. shot. And so we had to create a kind of third page, which always kind of took it out a little bit. But it, I, I love writing for Brandon and Kate so much because they like, no matter what I throw at them, they seem to just to go, okay. And they, and, and, they, and they just do it. Like, you know, I thought, <laughs> and that's how I, I love my, which actor friends I have the most. I, I, I can tell, cause I can just throw things at them and they will just, okay, let's try it. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's see how it goes. That's one of the great things as as you have some time in your career where you do get those relationships where you have where directors have their go to actors, actors have their uh, go to writer directors that they work with. And so certainly hang on to that relationship between the two of you, because it seems that definitely seems to be working right now. So just oh, yeah, milk it, milk it, milk it, milk it. And then you you don't have to worry about auditioning people either. We actually talked about with this piece and the cage doing like uh both in the same night. Yeah. That yeah, might that kill Brandon, but might kill emotionally. But uh... <laughs> so, how can people? Do uh, you want to just let people know where to go? Uh, people want to see tickets. I certainly want to see it myself. So yeah, yeah. So, so I'm going to be posting uh, posting the Fringe events uh, page into the chats right now. And there you go. So you can check out Hamilton Fringe. Uh, it's going to be running between the July 14th through the 25th. So go to the hamiltonfringe.com. .ca. Hey, .ca, sorry. .ca. .ca slash events. And you will find it there. <laughs> and I, I think if you go to, if you want an even faster route, it's like boxoffice.hamiltonfringe.ca. And it goes right to the box office for all the events. And there's an amazing group of plays coming on there. And Hamilton is one of those places that's really changing up, you know, who's telling stories. But what I like about it is that they are intermingling them together. It's like not just like one person telling a story and then now someone else telling a story. It's like they're all trying to create this incredibly inclusive theater event there. So mm-hmm. amazing. Well, congrats to both of you and to Kate as well. And yeah, well, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely be on it. So I'm looking forward to seeing more. Um, so let's start wrapping this baby up. Um, 
Steven, so what we like to do for the last question is just ask you some closing thoughts. What advice would you give to current theater artists uh, that are trying to get into the business? Oh, dear. Um <laughs> I saw the fathers come up. I'm like, well, what advice would I give to a father about, you know, their my dad was great. Was yeah. My dad, my dad was great. I, he accept that your child will not be you. <laughs> That's my first thing. Yeah, yeah. Just accept that. Um, so I guess the advice I would say is, I think the big one, I think I said, I said already, which was, you know, write for yourself first and find out where it goes. Uh, I write American history a lot, like <laughs> way too much, probably more than I should. And it's, I can get it done here, but I might have to go to the States to actually shoot it, to actually find homes for it. And I've, it's kind of found that kind of journey too, as well. Uh, I still, I want to be Canadian. I want to be in Canada. That's my thing. I'm starting to write more Canadian history, but write what you love. Like don't, and the other piece I really say about writers is there's that whole adage of write what you know, write what you don't know. It's both those at the same time. <laughs> it's both those it's great to write what you know only but then you'll never grow past that but the same thing is if you write just what you don't know then you might have a hard time fitting into it so i yeah. say write what you know but write what you don't know all at the same time and you'll find a lot of ways scripts i, I like to write scripts from a connection perspective so i'm not just writing about one character and that's it i'm writing about two characters and where they connect so often where one character i'll understand who they are the other one i might not and so that's what I have to learn. And I think that it's kind of an old agile life, you know, it keeps you learning, right? It keeps you always wanting to know more, to dig deeper into the, into, you know, think topics that you may not have knowledge of. So write what you know, but write what you don't know and find a way how those come together at the same time. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for being here, Stephen. Everyone, please remember to check out the laughter at the Hamilton Fringe. We posted the link in the chat below. Um, it is a pay what you can afford show. Uh, if you can give $5, please, if you can give more than that, that would be incredibly helpful as well. Um, yeah, you, you hear that, you rich Hamilton people? For all the people living up on the mountain, uh, open those <laughs> pockets. Get those coffers ready. <laughs> well, and it's a digital event, so anyone anywhere in the world can watch it technically. True. And you, yes. you buy a screening, but you can watch a screening at any point. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. So don't wait. Buy your tickets now. <laughs> Thank you again for being here, Stephen. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in on this Monday Fun Day. Please check out Comedy Alley at laughingvikings.comedyalley for your Comedy Alley tickets. Correct. And we will see you next Actually, Monday. One more thing I want to let people yep. know. If you're new to L uh, LV, Laughing Vikings, if you're an actor, be sure to go to laughingvikings.com slash gift and you can get your first self-tape audition session for free here at the studio where one of us will help you shoot that, uh, whether it's Brandon, myself, or one of the other session directors. Mm -hmm. And if you're an actor, comedian, or creator, and you want to join our community here, uh, you can do that at laughingvikings.com. And that gives you access to all our studio services, discounts on all the services, including half price tickets to Comedy Alley. So if you want to check out Comedy Alley shows or you want to use the studio, the best way to do that is to become a member. And you'll also get some swag with your membership. You can wear these sweet tees. Uh, I think, Stephen, we got to hook you up with one of these as well. Yeah, right? I, I, I think so you much. do. I, I felt very naked without it. So, you know, <laughs> well, you, the, the, your wardrobe today was fantastic. And fantastic <laughs> background. Uh, yeah, everything. The hat really right. sells it. I love right. the hat. Right. Oh, we got a whole tree of hats here. Trust me, I had a choice. I was like, oh. 
Brandon's going to get the bowler at some point just to try it on. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was amazing. We love to meet writers. Um, sounds like you've, you're doing great. And sounds like this show is going to be exciting to see. I'm, I'm pumped. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. All right. Goodbye, everyone. We'll see you next week. Comedy Alley. Goodbye. 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 <laughs>